0: own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. For you once were not a people, but now you are the people of God. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Again that is the word of God. Let's let's pray. Father, thank you so much for another time together with your people and in your word and we know that these are no idle times that your word is is the means of conversion it is the means you use to bring people to saving faith and it is also the means you use to build us up in the faith to sanctify us to strengthen us and to make us holy and so we pray that you would do that today If there be anyone here who does not know Jesus, has not embraced Him as their personal Savior, that You would work in their heart to draw them through Your Word to saving faith. And for those who are believers here today, that You would use these verses as means of grace to strengthen their faith, to encourage them in their walk with You. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we live in a day when it is increasingly difficult to be a Christian. Now those of us who live in the United States, especially those of us who live down here in the buckle of the Bible belt, uh, don't feel it as much as those who live in places like Iraq, or the Sudan, or North Korea. Christians there and in many other places around the world are persecuted, imprisoned, and killed because of their faith in Jesus Christ. We don't experience that in our country, but more and more Christians are being marginalized. Our biblical views are considered to be intolerant and hateful. Our belief that Jesus is the only way to God is seen to be far too narrow and far too exclusive of others who hold to a different faith. Even within the Christian community, and I use that phrase in its broadest sense, the Christian community, there is confusion over what it is to be a Christian. Is a Christian anyone who has made any kind of profession of faith and belongs to any evangelical church? Is a Christian someone who's involved in all kinds of social programs who works in soup kitchens or who... Pickets at an abortion clinic. Is a Christian someone who attends a church service or a mass weekly, and goes through all the religious religious rituals that may be involved. Is a Christian someone who holds a particular theological position, who affiliates with a particular political party, is committed to a social gospel who tries to live by a rigid and legalistic set of rules and requirements. Just what is a Christian? What is your identity as a believer? Well, Peter gives us clear answers to those questions. He's actually been answering those questions all the way through this letter as he's dealt with various aspects of the gospel. And so far, he's made it clear, especially in chapter 1, That a Christian is someone who is in a living relationship with the living Christ. Who has been born again to a living hope through Jesus. Who has been saved by the grace of God through faith alone in Jesus. Who has been redeemed by the precious blood of Jesus. Make no mistake about it, that is the definition of a Christian. It's all about trusting, knowing, loving, obeying, and serving Jesus. When people come before the elders to either make a profession of faith or uh, to join the church, I always prep them. And I tell them the one thing the elders want to hear more than anything else is that you love Jesus. And that is the true mark of conversion and of saving faith. I think in these two verses before us this morning, Peter describes for us in a very fine manner what it is to be a Christian. He does that really kind of in a collective way, speaking of the church or the body of Christ. But what applies to the whole applies to the individual parts because it's individual parts that make up the whole. Here we find, I think, our true spiritual identity. A clear answer to the question, what is a Christian? Or, who are we as Christians? We find seven different descriptions of that in these two verses. I want to go through them briefly for you. First, we are, the text says, chosen people. Peter says in verse 9, but you are a chosen race I know the words chosen elect predestined appointed make some people very nervous however they are biblical words that is they're all found in the bible not just in a place or two but all the way through the word of God it's simply a denial of biblical reality to say that God is not sovereign and that He has not in some way chosen a people for Himself does not draw them to Himself by His saving power through the Holy Spirit. Here the Bible says you are a chosen race. That word race means generation or people. It really stands in contrast and we always have to keep a text in its context, remember? Uh, It really stands in contrast to what we saw at the end of last week's sermon. At the end of verse eight, where uh, we found uh, paul talk or Peter talking about the fact that unbelievers are appointed to a doom of eternal destruction. I said last week that all those apart from Christ get exactly what they deserve, and that is eternal separation from God, all those who do not trust in Christ are appointed to that end. It is, that is the doom that God has set for all those who do not believe in Jesus and who die in unbelief. But what the Bible teaches is that out of that number, who are appointed to an eternal doom of eternal destruction, God graciously, mercifully rescues some and brings them to salvation. He gives them what they don't deserve. And that is new life here. And the promise of eternal life in heaven. You know, Peter said a similar thing back in chapter 1. Really in the first two verses of this letter. When he identified those to whom he was writing. End of verse 1. Who are chosen, he said, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. That was my first sermon in this series and I said there that it is in that we find our true spiritual identity it is that you've been chosen by God for salvation you know nothing is more encouraging to a believer than that and in fact my sermon that sunday was gospel encouragement nothing is more encouraging to you than to know that God chose you for his own, that he sovereignly called you to himself, and now he powerfully holds you in his hands. And it's so much more encouraging than to think somehow one day you decided on your own to give yourself to Jesus, and now by your own good works or by your own faith, you're desperately trying to hold on to him. Look, folks, God holds on to us. That's where we get our sense of security. That's where we get our assurance. God has chosen us to be His people. He has called us sovereignly to Himself. And He holds us securely in His everlasting arms. So what is your spiritual identity? Who are you in Christ? You are chosen a chosen one, chosen by God, not because of anything in you or anything about you, but only because of His good pleasure. And folks, that is the most humbling truth there is. We don't know why. We don't understand. But we accept it. We bow before Him and worship Him because of it. We find great confidence, encouragement, and joy in it. So first, we're chosen. Second, we're a priestly people. He says, and again in verse 9, the text says, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood. We saw something similar, didn't we, back in verse 5 last week where he's talking about the the church being built of living stones. And he said, you also, in verse 5, as living stones are being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood. To offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. There we were a holy priesthood. Here we are called a royal priesthood. And again, as we saw last week, no longer do you and I have to go through a human priest to have access to God. There is no human mediator between you and God. But you have direct access to him yourself through the great high priest, Jesus Christ. And the amazing thing is that as priests we serve the King. Which why he calls us royal priests. You know a priest is one who was given to service, who gave his life to serve the Lord and to serve the Lord's people. And you and I are priests. And as priests, we give ourselves to God in service to Him. And what you need to understand from our text is that you serve the King. You are a royal priest because you're given that great blessing and privilege. And so who are you in Christ? What is your spiritual identity? You are a servant to the King. A priest who has direct access to not just to the throne of your heavenly father, but the King, the king of kings. There's a third identity here. And it is that we are a holy people. It's interesting, in verse 5, we saw that we are a holy priesthood. Here we are called a holy people. Now, some of you might, as we go through, begin to realize, you know, I've heard... I've heard these descriptions before. and If you have a, a text like mine that puts quotations from the Old Testament text in all caps, you'll realize that, that most of these uh, spiritual identifications are Old Testament quotations. These are the same phrases and words that God used to identify his people in the Old Testament. They were a chosen people. They were a kingdom of priests. And they were called out to be a a holy nation. It is interesting that the identifying marks of Israel are the same identifying marks God uses for the church. You see, there's this tremendous sense of continuity in the people of God, Old Testament and New Testament. To be holy, as you know, the, the, the core definition of Holiness, or to be holy, is to be set apart. Is to be different. Is to be distinct or unique. You know, even the utensils used in temple worship were were holy. They were set apart. It's all they were useful. They were unique in some ways. And at its core, that's what it means to be holy. You might remember that back in, however, in, in chapter one, verse fifteen, Peter said this. But like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves also in all your behavior, because it is written, You shall be holy, for I am holy. And then you might remember when we read uh, from Deuteronomy 7 just a little while ago in our Unitary reading of Scripture, God said to Israel, You are a holy people to the Lord your God. And so our holiness or our uniqueness is to be demonstrated in our behavior or the way that we live. We are made holy, declared holy, or righteous in justification. We demonstrate that holiness in the way that we live. It's not just that we are holy in the sight of God, but we are to be holy, to live holy lives before Him. So who are you? What is your spiritual identity? You are holy. To the Lord and you're to live a holy life before the Lord there's a fourth we find in the text we are a possessed people or in my text it's a people for God's own possession some translations say his own special people we belong to God we are possessed by him we are his and we're his by two ways ways One is by creation. There is a sense in which all people, believers, unbelievers alike, are gods, are possessed by Him, belong to Him, because He created them. Every human being has been made by God and made in the image of God. And because of that, they owe complete homage, worship, worship, Obedience and service to God. That's what makes disobedience and unbelief such an offense to God. It's a slap in the face to the Creator. A denial of who He is and the fact that He has made them. The other way we are possessed by God is by redemption. Believers belong to God in an additional and special way. And that's because he bought us. He redeemed us with the blood of his son, Jesus Christ. Paul said, You have been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. And so, since we belong to God, since we are his, since we're his possession, then we ought to live for God. In fact, that is the basis for living for God, it's because you are his. You bear His name. You're possessed by Him. And unbelievers ought to see that in us. There ought to be an identifying mark upon us. And that's the way we live, in a way that's different from those who aren't believers. They ought to see in us a people of honesty and integrity and love and peace. And they ought to know it's because of our relationship with God, because we're possessed by Him. So, who are you? What, what is your spiritual identity in Christ? You are one who is possessed by God, who belongs to Him through creation and through redemption. There's a fifth identifying mark. And that is, the text says, we are called people. And we saw that earlier, didn't we, when we looked at the fact that we had been chosen by God. We're chosen by God, the Bible says, before the foundation of the world, Ephesians 1. And we are called by God in time. Specifically, the text says, into verse 9, we're called out of darkness and into his marvelous light. As we've seen before, the, the, the motif of darkness and light is very, very important in the Bible. Unbelievers live in darkness. Uh, Their eyes are blind to spiritual truth and to spiritual reality. You know, Jesus is described as the light of the world, isn't he? And at the incarnation, Jesus was the light who was shining in the darkness of sin. And Jesus said, unbelievers love the darkness rather than the light. It, It makes unbelievers uncomfortable to be in the light of the gospel. It makes them uncomfortable to hear the truth of the word of God. And yet the ministry of the gospel is to call people out of darkness and into light. And that's what Peter is saying here. God has called us out of the darkness of sin. He's opened our eyes that we might see the light of Christ. Christ. It really is the truth of the the old hymn, Amazing Grace. I was blind, but now I see. Again, we see the Bible putting salvation in God's hands where he calls us to himself. We are a a called people. Now, some people rebel against the idea of a God who chooses us and a God who calls us, but... Folks, it can't happen any other way. The Bible is true. Because the Bible says that you and I are, apart from Christ, dead in our transgressions and sins. We cannot make ourselves alive or give ourselves new life. That's God's work. That the Bible says we are blind spiritually. We can't see. And we can't enable ourselves to see spiritual truth or spiritual reality again. That is God's God in his grace calls us to himself enables us to be his people giving us life and enabling us to see calling us out of darkness and into light and so who are you in Christ what is your spiritual identity you are one whom God has called to himself God has brought out of the darkness into the marvelous light Of Jesus Christ. Well there is a sixth. Identifying mark. And it is that we are simply. God's people. Or the people of God. In my text. In in the. Verse 10 it says you were not a people. But now you are the people. Of God. Same thing we saw earlier. Where in verse 9. He described us as a people for God's own possession. I now, mean, in an historical context, I think here uh, the text is, is addressing uh, the Gentiles who once were cut off from the grace of God. You were not a people, but now you have been included. You are the people of God. It was one of the dramatic things we're going to see as we go through the book of Acts. One of the dramatic things that happened in the New Testament church is the inclusion of the Gentiles into the plan of salvation. Of course, there was a time when the Jews were not a part of the people of God either, weren't there? They were not a people. We saw in Deuteronomy 7, but God says, I chose you. Out of all the people on the face of the earth, I chose you to be my people. And here Peter says, you were once not a people, but now you're the people of God. That's you and me. We were once strangers. We were on the outside looking in, but now we're the people of God. We are among those as we've seen, who belong to God, who are possessed by God, who are owned by God. So, so who are you? What is your spiritual identity in Christ? You are God's people. Collectively, we are God's people. Individually, you are God's child. You belong to him, adopted into his family. There's one more, a seventh. And that is we are a, we are a pitied people. It says into verse 10, You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Mercy, you see, is what causes all these other things to be a reality. It's because of God's mercy that we are a chosen people, a priestly people, a holy people, a possessed people, a called people, and a pitied people. Mercy is the expression of God's kindness and grace towards sinners. You see, we deserve, all of us, we deserve God's judgment. But we receive God's mercy. Through God's mercy, he rescues us from an eternal damnation in hell. And gives us an eternal home in heaven. And so even though we deserve justice, we receive mercy. So who are you in Christ? What is your spiritual identity? You are one who has been pitied by God and received his mercy that you might be forgiven and be his child. And so that's who you are in Christ. That's your spiritual identity but embedded in this spiritual identity there's one little phrase that I omitted that I skipped over and that is the reason the purpose for which God makes us into such a special people. Why he calls us to himself, chooses us to himself, makes us a kingdom of priests, a holy people, a people for his own possession. We find it in the middle of verse 9, where he says, It is so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who is called you. See, that is what you are to do. Why are you who you are in Christ, that's a good question to ask, isn't it? Why am I a believer? Why has God given this to me? And the answer is here, it is so that you might give all the glory and all the praise and all the honor to Him so that you can bear witness to His kindness and His mercy and His pity toward you in Christ. You see, your spiritual identity, who you are in Christ, is not all about you. It's about Him. Now, if we've got anything inverted in evangelical Christianity, folks, it is that. The gospel is not primarily about us. It's about Him. The gift of salvation that you enjoy, the blessing of spiritual hope that is yours in Christ. It is a rich blessing for you, but... You are to, in turn, give Him all the praise and glory for it. We are so quick to take, to take His blessings, to receive the gift. So slow many times to say, it's all because of Him and what He has done for me. The proper Christian testimony from this text and from other texts throughout the scriptures is not, folks, I found the Lord, but the Lord found me. I was lost. Lost. I've been found. I was blind. But now I see. I was hopeless. But now I have hope. Why are you who you are in Christ? It is so that you might proclaim His excellence, declare His glory, and give Him praise. And so you do it by what you say. You testify of what the Lord has done for you. But you also do it by what you do and how you live. Your life is to be a living advertisement for the grace of God and the blessing of being in a relationship with Him. Your life, who you are, is to radiate the difference that Christ makes in a dark and sinful world. That means your values and your priorities are going to be different from those who don't believe in Jesus. That means the way that you talk and the way that you act, the way that you treat other people reflects the difference that Christ has made in you. The way that you attend worship, your faithfulness to the church, is a reflection of the difference that Christ makes in your life. It's not just by what you say. It's by what you do and how you live. Who are you this morning? What is your spiritual identity? You are God's chosen child. Called by him. Called by name. To be in a saving relationship with him. You're adopted into his family. Made one of his children. You're a recipient of His pity and of His mercy and you're destined to be holy and righteous before Him. You see, that is your identity and your identity determines your destiny. Well, what is your destiny? What are you to do? You're to live your life in a way that brings honor and glory and praise to God. You are to give Him all the the thanks, all the praise for his mighty work in your life enabling you to be his. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word and we are encouraged today by this great description, this beautiful description of what it is to be a believer. And there's anyone here today who doesn't understand it to whom it is foreign, who doesn't see themselves in that number, but somehow sees themselves on the outside of it. I pray that you would work in their hearts to open their eyes to see, and you would call them out of darkness into your marvelous light. And Father, encourage us this morning with this sense of who we are in Christ. And we pray that we would. Give him all the praise, all the glory. Proclaim his excellence by what we say and what we do. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.